Welcome to the Christian Politics Podcast, brought to you by the For Youth, By Youth Productions. This podcast is designed to discuss modern issues through the lens of the Bible. Welcome today to the Christian Politics Podcast. We are excited about bringing you a special episode today. Uh, we're going to be test uh, in just a little bit, and we want to give her some plenty of opportunity. We're going to ask her some questions and just hang out with her for a little bit. Uh, I've got Bryce and our co-host here. We are doing this via Zoom, Microsoft Team meeting. We're not in person right now still, uh, but Bryson, welcome, and go ahead and give you introduce who we're talking to today. Yeah, we're grateful uh, to have Congresswoman Virginia Fox on the show today. Um, she represents North Carolina's 5th Congressional District, and uh, so Congresswoman, uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, we're, we're, again, grateful to have you on the show. Um, if you would, at the start, just, just tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, maybe your background, where you come from, and uh, just, you know, give us a little bit of background. Sure. And I want, James, you and Bryson, thank you very much for inviting me to be on. Uh, yeah. I grew up in Avery County. Uh, my family moved to Avery County when I was six and a half years old. We lived way out in the country. I lived in houses with no electricity and no running water till I was 14. Uh, my father had to work away from home most of the time because there were no jobs in Avery County. Avery County was very, very poor in those days. And there were very few jobs there. So I grew up there working hard, doing whatever we could do. And my mother worked in a restaurant. I worked in a restaurant. We cleaned um, hotel rooms or motel rooms and babysat. Um, I did a little of everything, worked in the cross door weaving room, starting when I was 12, worked on farms. So that's my background. Grew up in Avery County. Was very lucky, though. A lot has to do with the time you grow up. I think I graduated from high school in 61. Uh, was encouraged to go to college my senior year in high school. Had no money, went to Lee's McRae, dropped out, worked a while. Then went back to college and met my husband while I was in college. We got married and I transferred to Carolina. Again, worked my way through school. It took me seven years. He and I were both very poor. So we worked our way through college. Then we got through college, finished up, moved back to the mountains. And we've been here ever since. We live within a half a mile of a quarter of a mile from where he grew up, 10 miles from where I grew up. And uh, we've lived in three different houses uh, within a half, less than a half a mile from each other. So we love the mountains and uh, we had a nursery and landscaping business and I worked um, in education. So I've had a, God's blessed us in so many ways and I thank him thousands of times a day for all the blessings that I have. Well, that's great. That's great, Miss Miss Fox. Uh, I want to ask you this question as we get started. So what got you started or interested or even concerned in political in your political career? Well, growing up, I didn't have any ambition to be in politics. Again, because we were so poor, we just worked all the time just trying to survive. But when we moved back to Watauga County, um, I became involved with the League of Women Voters, which was a club here those days in, in Watauga County. And uh, <clears throat> the league asked members to go to county 
meetings to observe them and report back because many times the meetings would be held and there'd be no press there. And so one night I was at a school board meeting in 1973 and the school board was being pretty incompetent that night. Um, and there are five people on the school board and they really didn't know what they were doing from minute to minute. <laughs> and uh, this person at the school board meeting said, why don't you run for the school board? I said, well, you know, I don't think I'm qualified, but I had a master's degree by that time. I was teaching at Appalachian. I had a child in school. He said, you mean you're not as qualified as those turkeys are? And I said, yes, <laughs> I guess I am. So I ran for the school board. I uh, went back, went home that night, told my husband. Now, my husband's really the political person in the family. He's much smarter politically than I am. And how he got it, I don't know. His father died when he was 10 years old. It just seems to be in his bloodstream. Anyway, I ran for the school board in 74 and I lost. And then I ran again in 76 and 80 and 84. And I I, I won big in all three of those terms. Um so um, that's what got me started. Uh, it was nonpartisan, so I didn't think of myself as being in the political world. I just, you know, education and hard work helped me succeed. And my goal has always been to help other people get a good education and understand the value of hard work. In this country, it doesn't matter. You can start out like I did, dirt poor. But if you're willing to work hard and you're willing to gain skills, you don't have to have a degree. You just have to have skills. And uh, I'm a pretty good writer and I can type. So those are my skills. <laughs> and I take yeah. directions very well. <laughs> so I can do a little of everything. And so that's that's how I have succeeded. And I want other people to see that as an option in their lives. That's great. I love the uh, local politics side of it. You know, yeah. I've I've uh, tried. I didn't run, but there was an open seat for the school board here in our county, and I put my name in. I didn't get it, but uh, eventually, I think I'd like to run. Uh, just and I'm a local pastor in the area. I'm just concerned about education and our our sure. future of our next generation. Um, and so we've got a good man in our district that's running for that seat, and uh, he's a retired man. He can put a lot of time into it. Uh, but one day, maybe when he steps down, I'll put my name in the ring. I don't know yet, but you know, that's, that's there. What are some of your goals? It takes a lot of time. Yeah, Yeah. it does. It does. And I want to do it just if if I'm going to do it. Sure. What are some of your goals as far as being in the political career? I know you're a congresswoman now, uh, but what is, and you're running for reelection. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so uh, what are some of your goals that you want to see happen? Well, James, my goals in everything I've ever done again, whether I was working or whether I'm working as an elected official, is to learn as much as I possibly can and do the best job that I can do, whether I was being paid for it. Now, obviously, I get a salary from this, but um, I do what I do because I love doing what I do and I want to help other people. And so that's always my goal. Do the best I can do learn as much as I can, help the most people that I can help. Uh, When I worked at Appalachian State University as assistant dean, I was an advisor for students. I became the president of a community college. Then I got into the state senate, then now in Congress. And people will tell you I'm a hard worker. I'm known as the hardest working member of Congress. 
And that's just because I feel the need to learn and to do. So I talk to constituents, I find out what is of concern to them, and then I try to act on those things. So that's the, that's what I do throughout my life. If I'm doing something at home, I try to do it the best that I can do. My husband is the same way. Well, great. Bryson, what's the next question we got for her today? Well, I think we skipped over uh, our third question, which obviously, uh, Congresswoman, you're running as a Republican, but but I want to know why you're a Republican and, and where where do you come from? I don't know if you come from a Republican background or just why you're a Republican other than a Democrat. Sure. Well, actually, my parents were Democrats. Um, my I don't know on my mother's side. Uh, my grandfather died when my mother was eight years old, and I never heard my other my grandmother on my mother's side ever express any political opinion. Uh, but my um, grandparents were my father's parents were Italian immigrants, and most of the immigrants who came to this country were Democrats, and my parents were Democrats until I got married uh, to Tom, who was a very conservative Republican. He would tell you that he thought Barry Goldwater was a little liberal. Uh, But um, Tom helped educate me about my philosophy. Again, Republicans believe in limited government. The government that governs least governs best. So that's what we believe in. We believe that taxpayers should keep as much of their money as possible and not give it to the government. I believe that you know how to spend your money better than the federal government or the state or the local government knows how to spend it. Now, we need government in a civil society. There's no question about it. So Republicans aren't anti-government. We just want the government to be as close to the people as possible and to be as efficient and accountable as possible. So those are things that sort of run through my veins. And um, that's what I've always believed in. My husband and I both are pretty independent when it comes to doing things for ourselves. He even more than I. Uh, he's he's pretty much retired now, so he's mastered technology in many mm-hmm. cases. He's able to do a lot more than I am. But, I mean, he's always told me, you give me a tool, I can do whatever needs to be done. And, um, and I will do that, too, to a certain extent. Then I'll try to bring in people who know how to do it, but always from the private sector, because I want the private sector to be dominant in our culture and not the government. That's great. That's great. Uh, Sort of we've already sort of hit on it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What's your mission as far as running for Congress? Uh, Do you have a specific? I know you want to work for the people and you want to know the people, but what, what other mission may you have? Well, I'll tell you, when people ask me what's the most rewarding part of my job, I always say it's helping that individual constituent who has had a problem with the federal government that he or she cannot solve on their own. For example, the IRS may not be responding to them. The VA, the Veterans Administration may not be responding. Uh, Medicare may not be responding. Whatever agency they're dealing with, the post office, um, they're not getting the help they need individually. And so our job in our office is to cut through the red tape or to get to the person that will help 
the constituent solve his or her problem. So I get a lot of satisfaction out of passing legislation. I've passed um, 10 bills, lots of amendments. I've stopped some bad bills from passing. I've redirected people. So we've done a lot uh, at the national level. But when that individual comes to us and has hit a brick wall, usually, there's nothing more satisfying than to solve that problem because it's the most critical thing to that person at the time. And if we don't do it, they might not get it solved. So who would they go to? And and when that happens, then people lose faith in their government. And the last thing we need to have happen in this country is for people to lose more faith in their government. They already yeah. have lost a lot of faith. We want them to have faith that the government is there to serve them, not to be served. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, our next question, and I know, um, especially for people in within uh, your district, I know a lot of people look up to you. You're a great role model for a lot of people, but who is some somebody that has been uh, or that is a role model to you or someone that you have looked up to? Well, I will tell you that I have been blessed over the years to know a lot of people who sort of take on impossible tasks. Like when I was growing up in the little town of Crossnor, we had a hospital, a school, a, an orphanage, and we had an elementary school. And the orphanage was begun by Presbyterian ministers, the Sloops. And Mrs. Sloop was the administrator, Dr. Sloop, her husband, was a practicing physician. She was a licensed physician, but had given up practicing so that she could run the school. So I knew Dr. Sloop and, and had a chance to talk with her many times. And I've run into a lot of other people in my district over the years who've taken on a lot of tasks. I mean, I'm happy with somebody who's working to, to start a charter school. I'm inspired by people like that. I'm inspired by local people who do things they don't even think are extraordinary. Like there was a woman in Ash County had a vision to build a civic center and she worked on it for years and years and years and people thought she'd never get it done, but she did. My husband says that I remind him of a little ant uh, you guys are too young to know the song High Hopes, but there's a wonderful song called High Hopes. It says, what makes that little old ant think she'll move a rubber tree plant? Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant. Well, I like to know the ants who move the rubber tree plants. They're my inspiration. And I run into them all the time out in the district. Again, they're, they're, you can call them unsung heroes. But they are they start Christian schools, they build civic centers, they help get charter schools going, they work in the fire department. They're all kinds of people like that. They're my inspiration. Yeah, that's great. And that's that's awesome. Uh, let, let me ask this next question. We'll shift gears just a little bit uh, more of uh, current politics and things. Uh, let, let me hear a little bit about this emergency hearing for big tech companies and election interference that you guys just signed uh, to be done. 
Well, I'm on two committees. One is the Education and Labor Committee, and the other one is the um, Oversight Committee. And on the Oversight Committee, we have a pretty broad portfolio. And those of uh, the Republicans on that committee have asked the chairwoman of the committee to hold an emergency oversight hearing on what big tech is doing. They are censoring conservatives and they are unanswerable to people. people. We need long-term to do something about Section 230, but short-term, we need to bring those people in and ask for an accounting of what it is they're doing. Now, it's not easy to do. Only the Democrats, because they're in the majority, can call for a hearing. But we've asked the chairwoman to have such a hearing. Um, we're so close to the election now, we're not optimistic we can have it this week. But let me tell you, if they wanted to do it, they would get everybody in gear <laughs> and get there. So we can't just lay down and play dead just because we're in the minority. We have to raise issues and we have to push where we can push. So that's that's what we did. Okay. We asked for a hearing um, on what everybody now calls big tech. But we all know on the social media platforms, because they are not doing what they should be doing. That's right. I think that's uh, I think that's a good thing as well. Now I'm I know you're aware um, in North Carolina it was just uh, passed that votes will be allowed to uh, uh, be able to be counted uh, several up to several days after the election. So so what do you have to say uh, about that? Well, first let me give you a little background on that. Um, Back in the summer, the Republicans were working very hard to come up with a good process for the election. And they revised laws, they revised procedures. And several of us, when it was going through the legislative process, wondered at how acquiescing the Democrats were being in all of this. It just seemed too good to be true that they weren't raising holy cane about this. Uh, they voted for it. They didn't offer a lot of amendments. And I was very suspicious of it. I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody about it because we were busy in Washington. But we found out later what was going on. The Democrats had a plan all along to subvert what they had agreed to in the legislative process. And so what they did, they filed a lawsuit. They had somebody from outside come in and file a lawsuit against the Board of Elections and um, against the Attorney General. And then you had what's known as a collusive agreement. The Democrats had this planned all along. They did, they agreed in this, they, they got together with the people filing the lawsuit and they came up with a way to get what they wanted that they couldn't have gotten in the legislative process. And one of the things was to be able to count votes nine days after the election and to do away with a witness for absentee ballots, uh, which is a very dangerous thing to have happen. And also that they wouldn't have to have a postmark on the ballot showing that it had been postmarked by election day. So they they had they settled this lawsuit. Now, obviously Republicans have made it clear that that's not right and mm -hmm. they've 
file lawsuits. Um, the Court of Appeals, I think, has thrown out part of that, but it still hasn't thrown out the um, most egregious parts. So it's still before the Supreme Court, as I understand it, because you cannot, in a lawsuit, create legislation. But that's typical for the Democrats to do that. They know if they put out their legislative priorities, it will hurt them because the people will see what it is they're trying to do. But then they, they're so underhanded that they create ways to do this through the courts. So it's wrong. The vote should be counted on election day. I don't agree with the states that have said three days afterwards, five days afterwards, no clear uh, postmark and things like that. We just need to go back to holding elections the right way and not letting the Democrats steal elections with these kinds of tricks. That's great. That's a great explanation right there. Um, let me ask you this, as far as the pandemic goes that we're coming out of, uh, do you agree with the current political leaders and what they've been doing? And if not, what's your stance on what we should do uh, on a local or national level? And you can talk about our local Governor Cooper at this time, or you can talk about President Trump or whoever you want to talk about. But uh, what's your sort of current political view on that? Well, first of all, there are a lot of people with 2020 hindsight that'll tell you what should have been done that didn't get done. Mm -hmm. But when this happened, I think the president acted very, very quickly. He closed down the borders, which was a smart thing to do, stopping people from coming from China, then stopping people from coming from Europe. But remember, what makes us conservatives partly is that we live in a federalist system. Okay, so the president can't exercise a lot of power over the country uh, without uh, invoking special powers through the Congress. But he basically left a lot of decisions up to the states, which I agree with. Yeah. But what he did do, what the president did do, was take advantage of the laws that exist. He set up, uh, he, he pulled together his administration to develop Operation Warp Speed, he proposed to the Congress uh, bills to pass, like the CARES Act, with items in it to give relief. You know, we passed three bills, uh, small, medium, and large, I guess you could say. We started out small, not really understanding what we were facing. This was such a mystery to everybody. So I, um, if it, the president has been extremely optimistic about this. I don't have any criticism of him. If I had done it a little differently, my, done it myself, I might have been a little less optimistic about how quickly we would get beyond this when we knew so little about it. Mm -hmm. But um, we have, the federal government has appropriated a lot of money to help individuals and to help states and counties and towns cope with what happened with, with um, COVID. But um, I don't like what Governor Cooper has done to keep the country shut down. If you look at the states that didn't shut down, South Dakota, I think Oklahoma didn't shut down very much, several states. But I know South Dakota, I follow it a little more closely because Christy Nome, who's the governor there, is a very good friend of mine. 
But the states who did not shut down completely have done no worse as far as uh, contracting the disease and people dying than states like North Carolina. So I, I would not shut things down. Had I been governor, I would not have done that. And I think what Governor Nome has done is the right way to do it. When they found clusters of the disease, they took action right away. And that's what I think you should do. Uh, my understanding, Governor Cooper, I think, is a very weak governor. And he, I think, knows he's not very popular right now because of the actions he's taken. And uh, you all mentioned earlier, and I haven't seen it yet, that he sent a letter out to the counties asking them to shut down. I think it's because he doesn't want to hurt himself in the election. Yeah. And um, that's no way to be a leader. You, you do what you think is the right thing to do, and you deal with the consequences. Now, obviously, he doesn't think it's so bad that he wants to take the consequences as the governor, but he's asking somebody else to do his job, from mm -hmm. what I understand. Um, but um, we need to get our economy working again. We've never shut down the country for any other problem. You know, I grew up in the 50s when we had polio. Now, we took smart action based on when they knew what was causing polio to occur. You couldn't go swimming. And, you know, but we didn't wear masks. There were a lot of things. The 1918 flu epidemic, we called it the Spanish flu because we think that's where it originated. They, they wore masks and they did sensible things, but they didn't shut down the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we had H1N1. We didn't shut down the country. So we don't need to shut down the country. We need people to be smart. Wear masks. Don't gather in big groups. If you're, you know, 65 or older, even 70 or older, you need to take extra precautions. But the, we need to just have common sense. But there's a, a lack of common sense in our government these days. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and by the way, Operation Warp Speed is going to help us get a vaccine. Like under normal conditions, it would take years to get a vaccine, years. But because the federal government, you and I, taxpayers, have put money behind the process and have brought together people to collaborate rather than compete, we'll have a vaccine, I have no doubt, by the end of the year. And uh, to those who say I won't use it, um, that's foolish. Um, President Trump is not going to help develop a vaccine that is not going to be effective. When he does something, he does it right. That's right. Um, so moving on and transitioning into our next um, question or, or topic here. Obviously, you know, in the, in the past uh, uh, several months, even race has been a, a very sensitive topic in America today. And, you know, you see the the so-called peaceful protests, or, you know, they're not peaceful protests, obviously, but but you see all this going on. And so we want to know where you stand uh, on the issue of race and, and what's been going on in the past uh, several months within our, our country. Well, let me say, first of all, I do not believe that we have systemic racism in the United States of America. Do I believe there are racist people? I do. I think they're racist people. I think they're bigoted people in all groups of people in our country. Um, I see it. Um, 
But I, I believe, and I think because we are a majority Christian country, I think most people do have, let their Christian beliefs dominate how they feel about the issue of race. And that is, we believe God, um, he feels that everybody's equal. You know, while we didn't live up to our Declaration of Independence for a long time, we based our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution on biblical principles, which say all people are equal. And I believe that's the way we should treat people. Uh, it doesn't matter what their situation is, where they live, what their race is, what their sexual orientation is, what their age is. Everybody deserves respect. That's great. I, I, I really get upset about people uh, on the left who don't want to acknowledge that uh, a child is a child before it's born. Uh, it's obvious that they're very bigoted against unborn children. Yeah, and that was uh, in our politics podcast that we've done. That was the third episode that we did. We talked about life and abortion. And I challenge listeners to go and listen to that because I think we handled it pretty well from the scripture um, as we are a Christian politics podcast here. Uh, last question that I've got, and then we'll give you some closing thoughts, anything you can say after that. Uh, but why do you think that you deserve to have the Christian vote as a pastor, as people who ask me often who they should vote for? Um, why, what, do, what would I tell them if they asked me, why should I vote for Virginia Fox? As a Christian, what what would I tell them? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think that our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, our entire country is based on our God-given rights. Um, you know, I point out to people all the time, and if you've got a pocket copy of the Constitution you can show sometime, show that. We the people. Yeah. Those words were written larger than the other words. And I tell people... Those are the most important words outside the Bible um, because we are a Christian nation and um, I do my best to uphold Christian values and I will continue to do that. There's nothing that's going to cause me to change um, my attitude. I believe in the right to life. I believe in religious freedom. I don't think it's an accident that the First Amendment to the Constitution begins with freedom of religion uh, and the fact that the government should not be hampering freedom of religion, freedom of expression, uh, right to assemble, right to speech, all of those things. So all, all those come directly from the Bible again. And um, I think Christians should look at the people that they're voting for and see, do they have the same values that they have? I have heard more recently than ever before, both priests and preachers saying you cannot be a Christian and vote for somebody who believes in abortion. And uh, I, I'm a strong right to life person. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's how we all should be from from conception to natural death. Um, and so I do my best to lead lead a Christian life, I will always come up short. There's no question about that. Um, I get impatient. I get angry. Uh, and, you know, I um, 
I lose I don't lose my temper too badly, but <laughs> I sure am frustrated with people that I think think wrongly. Mm. Uh, I wish I had more of Jesus's patience. <laughs> hey, we all do. We all do. It comes to convincing people why they should do the things they do. I'm not good at parables. I just say, do it the right way. You that's know? right. That's I wish right. I could do parables like he did. But anyway, <laughs> I, I hope that's that's enough. Um, I've got a track record on all of these issues, and so nobody has to worry about where I'm coming from. As I said. At this stage in my life, I'm not going to change my philosophy and the way I do things. Great. And then any closing um, statements that you may have, final message or a statement to the voters before we close this interview down? Well, you know, I see what I do as a real service. I honestly do. I know there are many, many people who go into this business, again, to be served or to make money. I can honestly say that I have never tried to benefit myself or any member of my family as a result of my service. I'm worth exactly the same amount right now as I was when I went into the Congress. So I haven't tried to make money off of my position. I honestly see it as God's plan for me to use my talents right now at the highest and best level. I mean, I could be doing other things, and I know that, and I could probably make more money doing other things or could have over the years, Uh, but this is where I really, truly believe God wants me to be. Now, I talk with him about that a lot, and I'll say on tough days especially, Lord, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Yeah. But, you know, I get signals pretty frequently that I think it is. I'll give you a quick example. Today, I was in Yadkin County for the um, announcement of a big grant that they'd gotten to help get broadband more out into the rural area. And I mentioned that I'd gotten a letter from a fifth grader who didn't have broadband at his house, and he was upset because he couldn't do his schoolwork. And when I got down off of the stage and we were about to leave, this young man came over and told me that he said, you know, when I was in the fifth grade, I wrote you a letter. And you answered me. Hmm. And my mother still has a copy of that letter. Well, that touched my heart, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Last night, a woman called me and said um, that she supports me because we were at a meeting 10 years ago and her husband said the prayer. And I went up to her and said, went up to him and said, you know, I think that prayer was designed specifically for me today. And, uh, she said we were all we were touched by that. So when I get those kinds of signals, it's obviously not God speaking from a burning bush, but I think it's the message I need to get. That's well, that's great. great. Yeah. Well, I'm going to close this uh, interview with a prayer for you, Miss Virginia, right. and uh, we'll we'll say some closing thoughts at the very end. Uh, right. Father, we just want to come and thank you for allowing us to be able to. Meet with Miss Virginia uh, on an unconventional way over a video conference. Uh, but, Father, we just want to be uh, good stewards of the blessings that you've given us. I pray, Father, that you'll help her in the gifts that you've given her to lead in our district, District 5. And I just pray that you'll continue to give her wisdom and guidance as she's running for reelection. Uh, Father, that you would just help us to 
pray for all of our leaders, from our president all the way down to our school board members and our county commissioners on a daily basis. And uh, Father, I just want to thank you for this time and want to give you the honor and the glory for everything that's been done. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, you Miss Fox. Yes, ma'am. Thank Thank you, Miss Fox, for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, it really is, is a true honor to be able to have you on, on the show. We've really been looking, to be honest, we've been looking forward to this for, for quite some time. So re- we really appreciate you taking time. I know you've got a very busy schedule um, working for us. So uh, we, we just want to uh, thank you um, for coming on with us. Well, you're welcome. Thank you guys for what you do. We need a lot of people praying and we need a lot of people voting right now. So I tell Christians, too, if they don't get out and vote and get involved, they're leaving it to the Philistines, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on, and I want to thank our listeners for listening. We do have another interview coming up on our next episode, and that'll be with uh, Mr. Mark Robinson, our lieutenant governor that's running for that. And so we got him coming on. Subscribe to our episode, like it. Uh, if you like this, give a rating. We've also got an email, Bryson, if you'll tell them about our email. Oh, that's flybyproductions at gmail.com, productions at gmail.com. And you can always send us an audio message through Anchor FM. We would love to hear from you. All right. So thank you guys for listening. And until we meet again, have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast presented by FYBY. If you enjoyed the content, please leave a rating or review and check out our Facebook page for more content.